like to welcome all of you to worship this morning. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 149, the first four verses. Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. This morning we're going to be reading the, the entire chapter. And we're actually, I'd like to start at uh, verse 34 of chapter 26. So chapter 26, verse 34, all the way to the end of Genesis 27. Hear the word of our Lord. And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old, I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock, and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father peradventure will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go fetch me then them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came unto his father and said, my father. And he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. 
I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy, as his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat. And he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now, and kiss me, my son. And he came near, and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment, and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven." And the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee. And blessed be he that blesseth thee. And it came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob. And Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly. And he said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtility and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. 
And these words of Esau, his elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee. And he forget that which thou hast done to him. And I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife for the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? So far the reading of God's holy word. Last week we were introduced to Jacob and his family, a family made up of four very distinct individuals. We first have Isaac, the promised child of Abraham who who started off well, but then fell into sinful into sinful patterns, much like his father Abraham. He loved the Lord. He was a peaceful man who avoided quarrels, but he preferred his son Esau and his wild game over his son Jacob. He stubbornly insisted on on blessing Esau over Jacob, even though the Lord told him and told Rebekah that Jacob should receive the blessing. You remember this prophecy from chapter 25. Two nations are in thy womb and two manner people or people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger. Now Rebecca, she was the woman from far away, Isaac's beloved wife who comforted him after his mother's death. She too loved the Lord, believing that he would provide them with a child. She believed God's promise that Jacob would would rule over Esau and therefore thought that Jacob, rightly thought, that Jacob should receive the firstborn promise. And then... There are the two twin boys, two very different boys, locked in conflict since they were in the womb. Esau the hunter, a strong and hairy man who preferred to be on adventures in the wilderness. And Jacob, a quiet man, who preferred to be with the livestock near the family tents. Jacob desired to have Esau's birthright. Last we saw how he took advantage of Esau's hunger to obtain this birthright from him. We also learned that Esau didn't think much of his birthright. The Bible says he despised it for he sold it for a bowl of lentil stew. Well, children, as we come to Genesis 27 today, some time has passed. Jacob 
and Esau are both now 40 years old. Isaac is now old and blind. He probably has cataracts in his eyes. He thinks he's close to death. So the time has come to give his children a blessing. But instead of calling Jacob, whom the Lord said should receive the blessing, Isaac calls Esau and tells him to go hunting. He tells him to go prepare food for them, and then he will give him the blessing. Rebecca hears this. And she comes up with a plan to deceive Isaac and get Jacob the blessing. She dresses Jacob up in goat skins and Esau's clothes so that he will be hairy and so that he will smell like him. She then sends Jacob to fool Isaac and to receive the blessing. You remember what happens, don't you? Though Isaac is at first suspicious of Jacob, Jacob does end up receiving the blessing. Esau returns to receive his blessing, and he and Isaac together discover that they have been deceived. Isaac trembles greatly, and Esau is filled with anger, determined to murder Jacob once his father has died. And finally, Rebekah, Fearing for Jacob's life and not wanting him to marry a Canaanite woman determines to send him away to her brother. Well, in all of this, what we're going to be looking at today is the sovereignty of God over this whole situation, over this whole family calamity. God's sovereignty in the chaos of this family. And we're going to be looking at how God's sovereignty is is not a cause for us to become fatalistic or despondent, but it reveals to us actually a good, faithful, just, and holy God. And we're going to see this demonstrated in, in the life of an unbeliever. Here in, in, in the sinful world, and we're going to see it in the believer's life. Now, first of all, in an unbeliever's life, Esau was an unbeliever. He had no need for the Lord or his covenant promises. He, like most of the people in this world, was only living for the here and the now. He only has a horizontal-oriented life, not a vertical one. He only cares about his life here. He doesn't care about his soul. His relationship with the Lord is, is of no concern to him. He has no care for his soul, and his life demonstrates this. We first saw this last week in his, in his attitude towards his birthright. He was, he was willing to sell his birthright for a mere bowl of lentil soup. What matters to Esau is the tangible, the material things of this world. This is where Esau finds his purpose and meaning. Our text shows us that he doesn't esteem the most precious thing in life. 
a birthright, a blessing that not only granted him the inheritance, but a birthright that accompanied the precious covenant promises of the Lord. And Esau, by rejecting this birthright, by giving it very little value in his life, he's in fact rejecting the Lord's offer of salvation to him. He didn't value the promise of a Savior. He didn't value the coming of the curse reverser, the coming of the head crusher. His rejection of this promise continues to be demonstrated in his life. Genesis twenty six thirty four says, And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. We know that this distressed Isaac and Rebekah, and this was a demonstration of Esau's heart. Esau's marriage to these women shows his disregard for the Lord's covenant promises. He has no intention. He has no desire to serve the Lord. He has no desire to raise a family that serves and follows the Lord. He is proving himself here as unfit to be the covenant inheritor. Now as you look over this story and you see Esau realizing that he's been deceived and hasn't received the blessing, you may say that here we see Esau is demonstrating grief and sorrow when when the blessing was given to Jacob instead of to himself. Scripture even says he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Doesn't this show that Esau valued the promise? And yes, of course, when Esau realized that he had lost the promise, he he did grieve. But he didn't grieve because of the loss of the salvific implications but because of the loss of the earthly and material blessings. His weeping, his crying was was still self and worldly focused. True grieving would have led to a change of heart. It would have led to true repentance for his despising of the birthright. If he truly was repentant, he would have changed. He wouldn't have sought vengeance against Jacob, but rather submitted to God's will and acknowledged the rightness of granting the birthright to Jacob. He would have rejoiced that the Savior was coming, even though the Savior was coming through the line of his brother Jacob. Esau was rejected by God, rejected as the vehicle of the covenant. Hebrews twelve seventeen confirms this. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Esau was rejected, and his repentance was not a true repentance. Again, we need only look at his life following this. 
He didn't change. He desired to murder Jacob. And he went out and married again. Yes, he was sensitive to his parents' desire that he not marry a Canaanite. So he goes out and marries a daughter of Ishmael instead. But however, even in this act, Esau's demonstrating little care for the covenant purity. He's demonstrating little care of preserving the Lord because he's going out and marrying someone from the rejected line of Ishmael. And yes, you may agree, Esau did not earn the right to the covenant. But neither did Jacob. And you may say there was no chance for Esau from the start. Wasn't he doomed to fail? Doomed to eternal damnation? Didn't God in his sovereignty determine that Jacob, not Esau, would be the chosen one? We have the prophecy from Genesis 25. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder shall serve the younger Doesn't this show that the future was already determined? And Esau had no opportunity to inherit eternal life? Well, I would argue that Esau had every opportunity. That he was fully responsible for his own damnation. And yet, the Lord was sovereign over Esau. God's sovereignty is a good thing. But it can be difficult to understand. We, we recognize that it is true. And we rejoice in the fact that our God is good and just and that He is in complete control. We often have trouble reconciling God's sovereignty with our responsibility. The Bible presents us with this dilemma here in Esau's life. We read in, also in Romans 9, Jacob have I loved, and, but Esau have I hated. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And because of this, we may incorrectly assume that God's sovereign will is unjust. Now, I admit that the relationship between God's sovereignty and our responsibility does present us with a mystery. But it is a mystery that the Bible clearly and pointedly teaches. Who God elects, who the Lord chooses for salvation, who He decrees will be eternally saved or damned, this is His secret will. We do not have election detectors. We can't go around determining who the elect are. Only the Lord knows this. And this is only revealed when the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is is worked in someone's life. And only fully confirmed when they enter into glory. 
Now, I don't want to spend all my time this morning digging deep and deep and deeper into the mysteries of this doctrine. But I want to show that God is good. I want to show that God is just as he exercises his sovereignty over all things. God's sovereignty and, and our responsibility, they're, they're different sides of, of the same coin. Both are true and they do not contradict one another. But because we are finite, because we have limited minds and are not able to discern the secret things of God, we must be content with what the Lord reveals to us in Holy Scripture. God, our Lord, our God, is infinite. He has perfect wisdom. He is love. He is just. And He does all things well. But when the Lord reveals Himself to us, which He does through Holy Scripture, He does this, in a sense, through baby talk. We have an infinite God who we can begin to understand through his word. We don't know everything about him. He's revealed to us what we need to know for life and salvation. And he comes down to our level. He speaks to us, like I said, in a sense, in in baby talk. So that we can understand, begin to understand him. And when we look at Holy Scripture, Scripture does not speak of God's sovereignty. It does not speak of man's responsibility as contradicting each other, but as working perfectly together. And when Esau, on the last day, when he appears before the Lord, he will not be able to cast any blame God's way. He will not be able to blame God for his unrepentant condition, for The fault fully lies with him. He made his decision. And he chose the world instead of following the Lord. We see throughout our passage. We look at Esau's life. He had every opportunity to submit to the Lord. To submit to God's will. To repent and to trust the coming Savior for his salvation. When we look at the sovereignty of God, when we look at his election, this is something that is good. This is something that is just. His sovereign control, even over the unbeliever's life, is good and just. He gives good gifts. He gives gospel promises. He gives life Material and relational blessings. He gives trials, problems, tragedies. All for the purpose that they would turn. That they would believe his covenant promises. That they would turn and follow him. And this sovereign God. This God who is in control of your life. This electing God, dear unbeliever, this God provides hope for you. 
You say you cannot save yourself, that you simply can't choose and follow Jesus. And this is true. But the Lord here commands you to. And he does not command what he will not give the power to do. He commands you, you who have no faith, to take a step of faith. He commands you, you who are unable to believe, to believe. And it is when you are backed, when we are backed against the wall of this paradox, that election should actually become your hope. It should become your surety. Election is is a comfort to the searching sinner. The electing God should be your only hope. Remember when the Lord first started working in my life. I was being convicted of sin. Seeing my, my desperate need to, to be saved. My desperate need for Christ. An election actually became a comfort to me. Because I looked and I saw something's changing here. The Lord's beginning to work. I, I can't save myself. It's all the Lord's work. And I thought, if this is the work of a sovereign God in my heart, if this is the work of an electing God in my heart, It's a good thing. Because if this is an electing God who's begun a good work, He will finish it to the end. An electing God, a Savior who delights to save sinners, a a continuously working God who's always working in the hearts of sinners. This God, He is your hope. He is actually more willing to save you than you are willing to save yourself. For without His work, you will not be saved. You will not choose to be saved. But you will be like Esau, continuing on with an unchanged heart. So what hope do you have but to turn to this God, to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Lord whose work it is to change the hearts of sinners? So turn to the Lord. Bring your sins to Him. Trust Him for your salvation. And when you look back, you will see that you did nothing. That everything was Him. That He was the one who did it all. He was the one who turned you. Who worked true faith in you. That it was only He, the sovereign electing God, who saved you. God is sovereign. Sovereign in the unbeliever's life. But His sovereignty, of course, extends also to this sinful world as well. Children, I'm sure your parents sometimes tell you to clean up your room. You go to your room, open your door, and 
I, this probably is, is none of you, but you open your door and you look and what do you see? You see a mess everywhere. Bed sheets lay twisted up on the bed. Legos are strewn across the floor. Clothes are in little piles in different parts of the room. Drawers are half open with socks hanging out. And the closet is spilling out into your bedroom. It's such a mess. You don't know where to begin. You, you stand there wondering, what should you do first? You try and imagine what it should look like. So that you can begin to put things back where they belong. You're asking yourself, how can you create order out of this disorder around you? How can you turn such a mess into something so neat and orderly? Well, if you remember Jacob's family from last week's sermon... And the events that we just read of in Genesis 27, you know that his family is a mess. They started out well. Jacob, or sorry, Isaac and Rebekah loved each other. They believed God and trusted in his covenant promises. But somewhere they strayed, somewhere they allowed their sinful inclinations to take over a large portion of their life. Their selfishness, their drive, their desire to achieve their own agenda outside of God's revealed will became the dictating principle in their lives. We have a father who loves one son more than another and tries to give the blessing to his favorite son. We have a mother who arranges for and commands her favorite son to lie and deceive her husband his, and his father. We have two sons who care only for themselves. One deliberately walking in a worldly manner. The other making scheming and a deceit a way of life. What a mess. The only good thing that seems to happen is that somehow the one to whom the blessing is promised, he actually receives it. And yet in all this mess, And all the dysfunction of competing agendas and and family alliances. The sovereign God of the universe saw a way through. He saw a way to make order out of disorder. In fact, he he dictated exactly how things would go. And he was in complete control of the situation. Now we have to be careful here. The Lord was not the author of the sin that occurred here, but in his sovereign control, he used it for good. He used it for his good purpose. And I want to draw your attention first to Isaac. He, like all the others, was determined that things would go his own way. But Isaac was a child of God. He is perhaps backslidden, going his own way. But what does a good and faithful and sovereign Lord do? He stops Isaac. We see this in our text. When he, together with Esau, discovers the deceit of Rebekah and Jacob, he trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken the venison and brought it to me? 
And I have eaten of all before thou camest, and have, and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. These words show a change in Isaac. He could have responded in anger. He could have cursed and banished Jacob. But his words show that he realized that the Lord had found him out. That the Lord's had accomplished his promised will despite Isaac's disobedient intentions. We see this pictured in Isaac's trembling. This is not the trembling of a person who is angry. He is not boiling with anger. Isaac is terrified. He realizes what has happened. He realizes that he has gone against the revealed will of God, that he has sinned against the God he loves. His heart is filled with guilt for what he has done. He realizes that he stood in the way of the sovereign Lord of the universe. He realizes his error and he has an instant change of heart. He loves the Lord. And we see this when he says, I have blessed him, yea, and he shall be blessed. Here he acknowledges the rightness of Jacob being blessed, that it was the Lord's will, that it was the right thing to do, that the second oldest should receive the birthright. Isaac, the wayward child of God, the backslidden hero of the faith, has repented and returned. I say hero of the faith because this incident, this incident the author of, to the Hebrews addresses, he says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Isaac's response here is one of renewed faith in his covenant-keeping God. Esau's response is not one of faith. As we said already, he became angry. He vows to murder Jacob. He does not submit to God's will. He does not tremble like Isaac. But he does receive a blessing. I don't know if we can actually call it a blessing. The original actually says, Behold, thy dwelling shall be away from the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven from above. And by the sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And this all came to pass. Edom, the descendants of Esau, would serve Judah, David and Solomon and the nation of Judah for much of their existence. They lived in a desert place below the Dead Sea. And they would finally break off the yoke of serving Judah by the time 
that the Babylonians came around. We see God's sovereignty in this as well. This came to pass. Our Lord was sovereign through all the debacle of this family. He was in control and determined all that would happen with Jacob. And this is much to say to us today. Perhaps your life is all messed up right now. Perhaps sin has overtaken you. Or you're being consumed by it. You know you need to flee from it. You see its effect on you, but you you can't let it go. Perhaps your home is a mess. You're not getting along with your spouse. You're not getting along with your parents or your siblings. In fact, your home doesn't look much different than what you'd expect the home of Jacob or Esau to look like. Flee to the Lord. Go to the Lord with all your mess. Bring Him all your sin. He's provided a way in the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves to redeem sinners. He will sanctify sinners. Like He brought Isaac and Rebekah back to Him. Back to trusting in His covenant promises. So you can trust Him and and reorient your life to Christ, living out of Him and for Him. Your hope is is not yourself. Your hope is in this God who, who directs each of your steps. And second, bring Him all the circumstances of your mess. Pray for those in in the mess with you. Pray for conversion and restoration. Pray for wisdom. Pray for to be a faithful witness. Lay all of your cares, your concerns for other for other souls. Bring them to the Lord, who does all things well. Children and teenagers, you you live in in uncertainty. And the Lord willing, you have a, a full life ahead of you. But there's, there's a lot of uncertainty. Maybe you have a lot of questions or you're worried about what the future holds. Perhaps you're living in a messy situation. You see your, your own sin. Maybe you see your parents fighting often. And you find it unsettling. Or you're having trouble with with friends at school or you're worried about whether you'll be successful in in life or not. But you have hope. You have a great hope. A great hope in a good, sovereign God. He has this scary world figured out. He tells us Hear about Jacob's family. He tells you about this family to show you, to show us how destructive sin is. To show us that our only hope for deliverance from sin, our only hope for our life, for our future, for our eternal future, lies in Him, the Lord and Savior of sinners. We have seen how God sovereignly directed Esau's life. 
We have seen how he sovereignly called Isaac and Rebekah back from their backsliding. But what about Jacob's life? What is, what is he doing here? Has Jacob been changed? Well, there's no indication of any change here. As far as we can tell, Jacob is the same man as he was before. The only glimmer of hope here is that Jacob does value these promises somewhat. He desires to have them. But in Jacob's own life, there's not much encouraging, not not much encouragement here. But there is a great hope. Not a glimmer of hope, but an everlasting hope. The hope here isn't found in Jacob. It's found in the Lord God himself. Jacob left to himself would continue down the road of self-worship and self-destruction. But here we're dealing with a covenant-keeping God. A God who chose him for salvation. An electing God. A God who would never let him go. A God who would slowly work. A God who would pursue Jacob. Calling him. Reprimanding him. Teaching him. Jacob deserved to be left alone by the Lord. But the Lord pursued Jacob. He broke him down. He changed him slowly and molded him into his image. And this gives us a wonderful picture of the God we serve. Because we're all like Jacob. We serve a God that pursues sinners. A holy and righteous God who has pursued sinners from eternity past when he sovereignly determined that he would save his people from their sins. And so he came into the world. He suffered. He died on the cross. And he sends his spirit to pursue sinners. And if God did not pursue sinners, if God did not elect sinners to salvation, not one person would be saved. Not one of us would be saved. Not one of us would know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this God's sovereign pursuit of sinners not only demonstrated in Jacob's life here and Isaac and Rebekah's life, but we see this demonstrated here in our church. The Lord pursues us each day, calling us to repent of our sin and follow follow Him. Calling us to a life of holiness. Calling us to be faithful witnesses. It's comforting to know that our God is a working God. That He's working here in our church and we pray that He would continue to work in our lives. He understands the messiness of our life. He knows exactly how to sort it out. And as he worked in the lives of Isaac and Rebekah, so he's calling you, backslidden Christian. You who are trying again to establish your own way and go down your own path. 
He's calling you to repentance. He's orchestrating events so that you will return to him and again rejoice in his rule over you. He's trimming away your sharp edges. He's conforming you to his image. He's putting an end to the scheming and plotting. And he's having us put on the righteousness of Christ and the fruits of the Spirit. What this whole story shows us is a very simple message. A very simple message that, dear child of God, you can trust your God. You can trust your Savior. You can trust His sovereign control over your life. He's a track record that proves it. He's a great cloud of witnesses that testify to it, including the examples of all the believers here around you. Has the Lord ever done you wrong? Has he ever not been faithful? He will never leave you or forsake you. He is sovereign over all. And thanks be to God for that. That our Lord rules over everything. A good, a just, a holy, a God, a holy God, a loving God. Our Lord and our God is good and he's good in all that he does. Amen. Dear Lord in heaven, we are so thankful for thy sovereignty over all things, for thy sovereign control. And Lord, bend our wills, break our wills, so that we would bow to thy will, so that we would quit trying to establish our own sovereignty. But, O Lord, that we would serve and love Thee all the days of our life. Lord, remember the rest of the events in this day. The preaching of Thy Word that will happen this afternoon and this evening. The catechism classes. The confession of faith class. The Sunday school, Lord. Oh, work powerfully, O Lord. Do what we cannot do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.